last night? Is that good? And uh, that was a blessing. God, God put on a light show and uh, we got some moisture. Not everybody did, but uh, certainly right around here we did and a lot to be thankful for. It is good to be here for uh, that Matthew 19th passage. And Peter answered and said to him, behold, we've left everything and followed you. We've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? If you're familiar with the story, uh, Andrew, Peter's brother, uh, when he encountered the Lord, he immediately ran to Peter and he said, Peter, Peter, the one we've been waiting for, we, we, he's here. We found him. And I don't know if you're familiar with the text, but immediately, immediately, Peter dropped what he was doing. He was a fisherman, and he, he went to the Lord to follow him. So I, I love that distinction that Jesus teaches right here about, and Peter says, we've left everything and followed you. And then the teaching in Luke and, and about people that would follow him. And uh, it's some pretty exacting teaching and I want you to consider that this morning for really one reason. If you've been following the news lately, if you've been following it at all, it's probably best not to, but if you have, um, what's your impression of what's taking place right now? I imagine everybody here has got some opinion about the condition, uh, maybe not the world, probably the world, but certainly for you and I, the United States of America, you feel good about our future? You feel encouraged about what you're hearing and seeing coming out of Washington, D.C.? Or you feel good about uh, the open borders that we have from Texas to California? You feel good about that? You feel, feel good about your <laughs> what you're having to pay for gas and diesel? Feel good about the price you're having to pay for groceries? I mean, what about the rest of the world? You feel good about you? What about what's going over in Ukraine, the Middle East, North Korea? I don't know what your opinions about any of those things are, but it is the world we live in. Um, but for you and I, uh, people who live in and around Bryan College Station, Curtin, Texas, who are Christians, Christians, what's going through your mind? What are you thinking about these days as you're trying to just live and pay your bills and live with whatever that purpose is in your life? We've got a pretty varied group of folks here at different stages of life and age, and um, we're all at some level pursuing a purpose Maybe the purpose right now is just raising your children. Um, could be any number of things. But, but you and I are Christians. We, we're Christians. And what does that mean? So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, in, there was a place in Antioch. And it says in Antioch, and this is after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is after the day of Pentecost. The church has been established. And so... Uh, at some point, in a place called Antioch, people like you and I were first called Christians. 
And that just simply meant somebody who followed Christ. And so now, 2,000 years later, we live in America, and we're Texans, and we live outside of Bryan College Station, and we got retired folks and young folks and people starting their careers and college kids and everybody in between. And, and uh, here we are, and we assemble like people do all over the world on the first day of the week on Sunday. And as a follower of Christ, we worship him. You would fit into that category. We'd agree with that. Living in a dark and a broken world, an unstable world, the economy is unstable. Uh, politically, this world is unstable. Religiously, the world is unstable. A lot of aggression, a lot of angst and animosity. Doesn't seem to be much peace. Certainly doesn't seem to be much stability or joy as we just survey the world around us. But we're Christians, we're followers of Christ. I took a little departure from the book of Colossians this week. We started teaching on Wednesday night, uh, our Wednesday night combined Zim adult Bible class, and I'm teaching First Peter. And so as we taught this opening uh, chapter in First Peter on Wednesday, I was really led that I felt like, okay, very appropriate uh, to preach this Sunday morning out of First Peter. So I ask you to First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to only read the first two verses, First Peter chapter 1. Peter, well, that guy that uh, threw down his nets and immediately, immediately found Jesus and followed him. The great, one of the great and certainly well-known apostles. In, uh, we learn about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his letters, First and Second Peter. He's obviously in the book of Acts. But he writes this letter, and I'm just going to focus on verses 1 and 2 this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside, the Greek word is reside. Your translation may have a different word, but uh, the correct word is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Now, first two verses. If you read the first 11 verses in 1 Peter, uh, you really, seriously, you could just do a study on salvation. How God saves, why he saves, his sovereignty in salvation. You learn about the attributes of God the mind, the nature, the spirit, the heart of God as he saves. He, sa he saves us. He saves the lost. He saves sinners. He did it through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, there's, the book is, expounds on every statement that's made in the first 11 verses, uh, but everything that you, if you, if you took even in the Old Testament all the way through Revelation and you took the first 11 verses of this first chapter of Peter, I promise you, you could do a comprehensive study on the saving nature, character, power, act of God, salvation. It's just there. Peter walked with God. He, he, he served God by following his son. He was an apostle. We know all about his flaws. We know that he preached on the day of Pentecost. We know that Peter even 
was called a hippie. He was called into hypocrisy years later by the Apostle Paul for, for falling into hypocrisy. And yet, his life, we've seen it magnified throughout Scripture. He's well qualified to write about salvation because of all of his weaknesses, his failings, and even his faith. God applauds him for faith. And Matthew 16, his faith, knowing who he was. And, and then <laughs> right after that, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter, in many ways, is uh, this great illustration of a follower of Christ that you and I can certainly relate to. He had great moments of faith, and he had great moments of failure. Faith and failure. I think he was highly qualified, certainly inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write about salvation. I only want to talk to you about two things that has to do with that this morning. Uh, go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. If you really want to understand this first verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, you need to understand uh, who these people that reside as aliens are. Peter knew who they were. They knew who they were. He's writing to them. And, uh, and so in Acts in chapter 1, prior to Christ's ascension into the heaven, he gives his apostles. Judas has committed suicide. Paul is not yet an apostle. There's 11 apostles now. And Jesus, in verse 6 of chapter 1, prior to his ascension into heaven, the resurrected Jesus says, and so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, they're asking the Lord, these 11 men, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. I don't know uh, if they understood. I, d I don't. I'm not sure if they understood the impact of that statement. They just want to know. They still are believing that there's going to be an earthly kingdom. It's going to be like it was back in the days when King David was the king, and Israel was a world power. I think they thought that it would even be greater than that. There would be a completeness, a fullness about it that would surpass even uh, the Israelites when they were their greatest place historically as, as, as a national power. But they wanted to know, we've spent three years with you. We've seen you do things that have never been done. You've empowered us to do things that no man has ever done. We watched you illegally arrested. We were there. We, we saw you, you. The Jewish law was broken. Even the Roman law was broken. You were illegally arrested. We were there. We saw you beaten. We saw you abused. We saw you suffer to carry your own cross. And we stood at a distance when they nailed you to the cross. We all denied you. We were absolutely terrified. Just terrified. 
and then we saw you die. A lot of things happened we didn't understand, but we saw you die. We know the place that you were buried. And then, and then we were told that you were risen. You revealed yourself to us. You, you empowered us, but you, you were resurrected. The one you that we saw beaten and abused, dead, crucified, buried, we saw you risen. And now we're just waiting. But we're just waiting because we know something really good is supposed to happen. We know. When's it going to happen? And he said, Mm-mm, can't tell you. But something is going to happen that has to do with you. You're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. But then here's the part that had to be, I think, I really believe it was very vexing to them. He said, now, what's going to happen is you're going to receive this power and you're going to have to witness. You're going to have to witness in Jerusalem. What had just happened in Jerusalem? A weak and evil governor, Pontius Pilate, succumbed to the, huh, the demands of corrupt religious leaders to crucify an innocent man. These corrupt religious leaders were numerous, present, powerful. The same people that had conspired to kill Jesus, they're still there, and they're still corrupt. And they're still willful. You want us to witness there first, here? Okay. Then Judea and Samaria. And if you know anything, we don't have time this morning. Samaria? Samaria. Do you, Lord, do you know the history of the Samaritans? There was a great prejudice. So Samaria. And then... If that's not enough, even the remotest part of the earth. And so they had to, in my heart of hearts, I, I just believe they had to, as though they heard that, I, I am absolutely convinced is, okay, okay. But there had to be a thought in their mind. How in the world are we going to do that? How is that even going to happen? Now, you and I are here today in this building on this piece of property in Curtin, Texas, do, singing praises and hymns, about to take the Lord's Supper, having fellowship together as Christians, uh, just as we've done for thousands of years. We're having a ministry of the Word through the preaching of the Word. We're just doing what Christians have done for 2,000 years, and the Jews did before that. So what Christ told them to do, they did. They did it. Because the proof is, here we are in Curtin, Texas. Because although they may not have fully understood how they were going to, how we're going to start in Jerusalem, then we're going to go to Judea and Samaria, then we're going to go to the even remotest parts of the Curtin, Texas is pretty remote <laughs> from Israel, Palestine. But how did it happen? This is where it gets personal for you and I, if we're followers of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ and you believe it's your job to be a, 
uh, as a follower, a witness who believes that you've been given the Holy Spirit, trying to live just paying your bills and wherever you're at in life, trying to be a follower of Christ, but trying to just get by in a dark world. So how does it happen? So you go to chapter 8 and verse 1 of the book of Acts, and you may know the story of Saul who became Paul, and uh, he became the 13th apostle. They, made, they drew lots for Matthias. You read about that earlier in the book of Acts. And now this guy named Saul, he's a persecutor of the church, and he would become Paul. So chapter 8 and verse 1, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. One of the very first deacons, Stephen, he, 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 he was the ringleader in putting a, one of the first seven deacons in the New Testament church to death. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. This is in Jerusalem. Why was he put to death? Because he was being a witness first in Jerusalem. Follower of Christ, servant of Christ, deacon, witnessing, and he was put to death in a brutal way. He was stoned. And on that day, are you a follower of Christ? We'll get back to that. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So now when you go to 1 Peter and you read about these people who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen, here's what you need to know, church. It's difficult, if we're honest, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, I say grace at the table? We're all going to go eat lunch probably here somewhere in just a little while. And uh, some of us are going to, you know, gather hands and say, Lord, thank you for this food that we're going to eat. Does it mean, well, I'm going to, during the week, I might go to a Bible study if I have enough time in my busy, cluttered life to go to a Bible study. I might take a break from social media to read, spend some time in the Bible. Uh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Might have a daily devotional. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll go to church on Sunday if it's convenient for me and and might have the wrong motives for that, but I might do that too. I'll gladly say that I'm a Christian, and I might even have a bumper sticker on my car. I don't know. Maybe that fits you. Maybe you're somewhere in all of that. Maybe there's a greater sense of devout uh, following of Christ. I don't know. God knows. You should know. Uh, but wherever you're at, follower of Christ, could you imagine what it must have been like 2,000 years ago. We're the living results of it. We're, we get to live in the luxury and the blessing and, and the power of obedient Christian men and women being followers and witnesses. We, we do. And so here we are. But could you imagine... Here's what I have learned, one of the things that I've learned about salvation in my Christian life. As a saved person and uh, wanting to be a follower of Christ, what I have learned is it has something to do with this word persecution. I have never been persecuted for being a Christian the way Christians were 2,000 years ago. I've said this before, I'm a little amused by Christians 
um, in America because we've had it. There's no generation of Christians, followers of Christ, there's no generation in the history in the last 2,000 years who've had it as easy as Americans. I would just challenge you at any level, any time, anywhere, any place. This great experiment, some call it, I don't. It was part of God's plan. We call it an experiment. God said, all authority in heaven, God's word says all authority in heaven and earth has been established by God. There's no nation that has ever existed unless God said the nation will exist. And so when the pilgrims came over here and Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, uh, only happens through the sovereign will of God. And then the ensuing centuries and, and then these people and they colonize and there's a revolutionary war for a 3% tax. <laughs> Did you know that? We fought a revolutionary war against the king of England because we were getting a 3% tax. Man, wow. We have slid a long way, haven't we? But the founding fathers, uh, they had Judeo-Christian principles and values and beliefs. They were, they were people that held dearly to the word of God. And so even our constitution was written. By the way, Mike Street brought me a book, and I didn't know, and I wish I hadn't known, and uh, I, I, I didn't know. Do you know how, 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 exhaust, how big the, the, the United States Constitution is? This would be a little, it's the book. How thick is the book, Mike? It's like, yes. Yeah, it. And I had no idea. We just kind of think about the preamble. That's the Constitution of the United States. Oh, my. That's... That's like a paragraph. It's like a sentence. And so these founding fathers had to put together a document, and a lot of what we're fighting over today in this current culture, and Christians are involved in it, is the founding fathers with Judeo-Christian principles said, we're going to have a constitution. We're going to be a constitutional republic. And boy, they started putting it together, didn't they? And, and, and we've been, man, we've been fighting on both sides of the aisle for 200 years on that now. We got lawyers, and what did Herodias say, the, Russia, the uh, Roman historian? He said, the more laws a country has, the more wicked they are. And it's true. And so, but they did it, right? And, uh, and so here we are, America, 1776, and we fought a war, and, and we're here, and we're Christians, and we're Americans. No nation has had a greater privilege to express their Christian faith than Christians in America historically. Don't take my word for it. So it is interesting to me when I hear Christians complain or Christians feel threatened or Christians living under the... But that's what we do. We live in the now, don't we? We just live in the now. We, we, we just think everything is bigger and more frightening and whatever it is. And uh, man, the Christian experience compared to... <laughs> The history of Christianity going back to Pentecost, it's like it's been a day school for us folks. It's like nursery school. I, I mean, it really hadn't cost much to be a Christian. We, we don't really fully understand persecution. Now, I think we're going to start to understand it. I think we're going to start to see it. I think we're going to, I don't think the, the media is very honest about it because persecution is taking place, not so much here in America, but our rights are being trampled on. The freedom that you have to practice religion is being invaded. And there is a great animosity in many people that live in this country 
who do not like Christians, who cannot fathom a world of people that choose to live according to the Word of God. And in fact, there are actual bills that have come about in the last eight years. One as close as Houston, Texas. Now, it was defeated, but if, if a preacher stood in a pulpit and he spoke about homosexuality or abortion or sexual immorality or fornication or adultery, that it could be, it would be, the churches would be monitored and it would be considered hate speech. And at the very least, that church would have its 501c3 taken away from it, which I think would be a great thing. I really do. I mean, it, it, you know, that's the legal battleground right now. These people have, they, you know, they get protection under the federal government and the tax code. So, so then if the federal government says that you have to do things a certain way, then if you don't do it, we'll take your tax code away. Now, this one of the bills went so far as jailing the preachers. So it's happening. And that's just one example. But I don't think we understand persecution. But what does that have to do with you and me and salvation? What does it have to do with you and me? He would go on to say, brethren, that you greatly rejoice that even though for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Greatly rejoice that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're familiar with the parable of the seeds in Matthew 13. I hope you are. Jesus tells the story of a guy walking down the road and the seed falls beside the road and in the rocky places and in the thorny places and some of the good soil, and he explains that. And, and this is where a lot of Christians, and I think many in America are, because Christianity has been really easy here. Christianity, there's no threat to be, be saved here. There's no threat to walk down an aisle and ask Jesus in my heart with like-minded people. And then just to profess my Christianity. You're not going to go to jail. Nobody's going to cut your tongue. Read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Ain't nobody going to cut your tongue out. Your family's not going to turn you in. You're not going to have to go to jail or be imprisoned. You won't be hung in the gallows or hung on a cross. It's easy. And so we've lived under that freedom. And Jesus tells this great parable. He says, you know what happens for that seed that's on the side of the road? People, what it is, the seed is the word of God, and people receive it with joy. Now, I have watched this for 35 years, folks, 35 years. People receive that great story about the love of God and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I like that. That's a good bill of sales. Yeah, I'm a sinner, but I don't sin as bad as those people over there. And, uh, but yeah, I probably need some forgiveness and boy, it's nice. And I like it when they have the altar call and I'm going to go up there and ask Jesus in my heart. And I don't mean to make light of that, but here's what happens. And I've seen it for 35 years. I've seen it in the setting of a church building, in the life of families, on prison units, where that, a message is preached. And what happens? Jesus tells the truth about it. He says they receive the word of God with joy, but a little, just a little trouble, just a little, just a little, a little trouble, not much, a little. Not, not persecution, a little trouble comes along and Satan steals that away. 
I have witnessed that. I have witnessed the result of preaching the gospel without the truth of persecution. Preaching the gospel without the truth of the testing of your faith. I have seen it. And we have not been a persecuted people. And Christianity has become very easy. And, and preachers have become very milk toast and, and mealy-mouthed. And we, they don't want to talk about these hard things. We won't offend anybody. They're more worried about the judgment of men than the judgment of God. We're studying the youth group this morning. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and then the way it ends and Chapter 12 says, God will bring every act. God is going to bring every act, good and evil, into judgment. Do you believe that? I asked those young people this morning, when are you old enough to believe that? Do we even, have we, it says God, and that, now he's, it's in Ecclesiastes. Jesus repeats it, New Testament writers. Every act, good and evil, of the righteous and the unrighteous is going to be judged by God. And that covenant, that truth has not changed. And so, I'm a follower of Christ. And one of the things that I have learned as a follower of Christ is that word reside. Where do you reside? What's the basis of your residence? How do you reside? What does it look like? It reflects something. Patsy, I'm going to pick on you this morning in a good way. Because I can put Tammy in this category. She's not here. She had to go to Angelo today and help her brother. And, and, uh, but I don't know, and I'm sure many of you, I could probably put a lot of y'all in this category. But I have to tell you, if you go into Patsy Vesey's house, it's in order. i tell you what, it's awesome. Do what? Don't go to his study? Yeah. Don't look in my closet, sister. Now you're going to look in Tammy's closet. She got it color coordinated. She got it, but there's everything. It's in order, and it smells good, and it's but it's still comfortable. Hey, why? She got one too. A lot of you do. I don't mean to but I'm gonna tell you what. It's a, it's it is it's, it's, hey, man. This is nice. I'm liking this. It's pretty good stuff in here. You know, smells good, looks good, cleans good. That's where you reside. That's your residence. But I also like them people that are comfortable. Hey, come on in, man. This is where we live, you know. We just, we're here. The kitchen, there's the refrigerator. This is not, hey, we hadn't folded the clothes yet. They're over there on the couch. You might have to move them because we got stuff to do that involves other stuff. You know, that's all right. That's good. I like that, man. As long as it smells like fried chicken, it's good, you know. But we just do. It's where we reside, and it's a reflection. And you might have two or three or four kids, and you just, you know, you don't have time to do all this. I mean, it could be so many different things. It's not necessarily a criticism or in any, but we reside, don't we? And our, where we reside is a reflection on a lot of things. We may have a lot of security stuff up. You know, I got cameras and lights and locks and, you know, my wife, I probably shouldn't tell you all this. It's just the way she lives. She don't lock nothing. She don't even have any curtains. She don't like curtains. She likes the windows open and bright lights and she don't lock nothing. She don't lock her truck. She don't lock nothing. That's just the way she is. That's how she resides. But some people, man alive, oh, boy, I'll tell you what. I got a triple lock, double lock, 
I got the lights going on and everything, you know, it's all right. But we reside somewhere, don't we? And the way we reside is a reflection of who we are, what's important to us. Now, he says about these people, you reside as aliens. Church. Paul would write to Galatians, there's no longer male or female, Jew or Gentile, free or slave. We're just all one in Christ. Jesus said, seek ye first my kingdom and everything will be added to you, but you sing it. So we spend, as a follower of Christ, we're caught in this dichotomy. I'm in the world, is what, but I'm not of the world, but I act more like I'm of the world than I do that I'm out of the world. And I do, I, I got more earth and world on me than I do heaven and spiritual and I stay in that. I mean, Paul said it about himself in Romans 7. I'm not going to requote all that, but that's where we live. I'm an American. I'm a Texan. I'm a fighting Texas A&M baggy, whatever you are. And, and uh, you know, I raise horses. I don't know. I, whatever it is you're doing in life. I, I, I cut hay. I build. I Whatever. And it just gets all over us. And then we try to, well, I'm a follower of Christ. It's pretty convenient. Things are easy. Go to church if it works out for me. Uh, you know, thank grace. Is, uh, I don't want to offend anybody. Study when I can. If I got to get, if I got, if I, if, if I have enough time to get off Facebook or watching Yellowstone, praise God. No, you wouldn't praise God for that. So it's hard, isn't it? And then we got all the insanity around us. But he makes this statement. It all happened through persecution. You and I are in this building today talking about these things, singing that great about faith because a persecution broke out. I personally believe those people would not have left Jerusalem without that persecution. I just believe that. Why would I leave? I got no reason to leave. When somebody's gunning for you, and they're going to throw you in jail, separate your family, cut your tongue out. I'm leaving now. <laughs> I, I, Jerusalem, yeah, I got two, three, four, five generations. I'm leaving now. And then as we leave, what do we do? If you're a follower of Christ, you take him with you. Evangelism happens. Paul would write, listen, love it. Where did he reside? At the last several years of his life, he resided in a prison. Joseph resided in an Egyptian prison for 13 years. God's people resided in the desert for 40 years. Aliens. You know what I wish that you and I could understand about our Christian life, being a follower of Christ? That we could, instead of all the ownership that we have, we just have ownership. We just ownership. We, it was like a dog chasing his tail. Solomon wrote to the, in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs about wisdom. How many of you understand this? I've seen it. Lynn, I know you've seen it as a preacher. You know, a man and a woman that work hard all their life. They just work it, and they're responsible, and they got CDs, and they got stock portfolio, and they have ranches and farmland, and then they die. And who do they leave it to? A bunch of kids that are going to squander it. It's right there in the Bible. And Solomon calls it vanity, but we work so hard and we've neglected so much and we've pursued what Solomon says is vanity because it's where we reside. If you live to be 104, 5, 6, I think Lillian Holyback's 104 years old now. Was a member of this church for her whole life, for many years of her life. Was Larry, Larry, how, how long was Lillian a member here? Probably since she was a little girl, wasn't she? 
Lily didn't hold you back. She's 104 years old right now. And she resides in a nursing home over here. Wonderful lady. But I tell you what, if she dies tomorrow, making 105 or just stopping at 104, that's nothing. It's just nothing. It's not, it's not even, a, it's not even a, a grain of sand in time in all of eternity. It's not even a grain of sand. They, that would be even smaller. I don't know how long you plan on living. God knows exactly the day that you won't live here on earth anymore. Wouldn't it be better if you and I adopted the attitude, I'm just an alien. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. And all this false ownership and all this time and energy and effort spent on trying to amass and amass and amass and secure and keep because I reside as something but a Christian should reside as an alien. And persecution can be the best thing. Paul would write to the Philippians in prison. He said, I've learned a secret to be content in every circumstance, with or without. So challenging. The last one won't take but a, just a very short period of time. Why would God want you to reside as an alien? Maybe. As a result of persecution. Maybe. Because he had a plan. Long before any of you and I could even conceive a thought, God had foreknowledge, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. As a follower of Christ, he sanctified you by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The love of God has been poured in your heart through the Spirit. So if you've been sanctified, God did it. God, through the preaching of his word, a heart would break, the scripture says, it would be pierced. It happened on the day of Pentecost. Old Testament prophet, God desires a broken heart and a contrite spirit. David would write that, 51st Psalm. And so God breaks our hearts through the preaching of the gospel. And then we cry out. He causes us to cry out. And then through love, he fills our heart with the Holy Spirit. And now we're sanctified. And according to the foreknowledge of God, by the sanctifying work of spirit, there's something supposed to happen. Here's your purpose in life. If you're a follower of Christ, and this is a big no-no in America, big no-no. Huge weakness in the body of Christ. It's a, it's a big one. Hmm. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey. Obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Those are the first two lessons about salvation, but this is simple. It's so hard. It's, it's simple to speak on because the word doesn't need really clarification. If you're a follower of Christ, here's a question. Do you obey him? Now, we don't obey to be saved. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. 
I hear a lot of I love Jesus, oh how I love Jesus, oh how I love Jesus, oh how I love Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rest like me. Walk out that building and ain't nothing that resembles obedience. Ain't nothing resembling. And I, I'm qualified to say it. I am qualified to say it. I would say some of the most disobedient people I've ever met sit in a pew. A hard pill to swallow, but where do you want to start? It may make some of you feel uncomfortable. Which command would you like me to start? I'll just do New Testament commands. By the way, the only Bible the New Testament church had was the Old Testament. That was it. And that word was good enough for them because the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, is about one, it's about Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. The whole Old Testament, it's ridiculous to me. It's a worn-out argument preachers have made that probably have been mistrained that somehow we don't live under the Old Testament. Yes, you do. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to, he fulfilled it. This is a hard pill to swallow. I don't obey to be saved. I obey because I have been saved. And am I obedient all the time? Absolutely not. But I will never, never consider myself a follower of Christ if I am not deeply, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and physically dedicated to be obedient to him. And we've not taught that. We've abused the word of grace to at such a level that we, it's an excuse not to be obedient. And here's the final and sad thing about it. You say, okay, well, wait, wait. Now, so which ones do I have to obey? The rich young ruler just asked that. Yeah, what do I have to do to inherit? You, there's a big old good preacher, Jesus. I got to go to him because I've heard about his miracles and he's doing this and he's doing that and he's turning water into wine and the lame are leaping and the lepers are clean and the dead man that I heard about that story, that widow of Nain, she just, and he called the son right up out of the death, the funeral. And that guy Lazarus, he called him right up. Man, I got to go talk to this man. Scott, I had to talk to Jesus. I mean, hey, what, do you, hey, how, what do I do? Oh, you got to keep the commands. I got it, baby. I'm obedient. Woohoo! Which ones? Oh, do this one. Oh, I do that. Bye, Papa. Go sell everything you got and follow me. And he went away sad. But here's the biggest problem. The obedience that God calls us to is always a blessing for us. You want your children to be obedient because... Ultimately, you understand if they learn to be obedient, you asking them to do things that, that really are going to benefit them. How much more God, right? I mean, how much more? But here's the real reason I believe Christians don't really commit to be obedient. This word right here. That's it. The things that he commands us to do. And by the way, Ecclesiastes would end. He says the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Because every act of man is going to be judged. How could you say you're a follower of Christ when a little persecution will cause you to tuck tail and run? Deny him. How can you say that you're a follower of Christ and been saved by the sanctifying work of the Spirit? being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ if you refuse to be obedient. But so, and that's the big hamstring in the body of Christ. I've, I've seen it for 35 years. The, 
the body of Christ is either offended by the things that God's word says you to obey or they're ignorant of it. See, if I'm ignorant of it, then I have to. Uh, here's, the big, here's the big joke. This is a sad one. It is, I say it facetiously, but it's sadness in my heart. Well, that's just the way you interpret it. <laughs> it's God, really. That's a weak, 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 weak person that even makes that statement. Because the truth is, you can find out. You can if you're willing to work. You, you, can, you know, you really can. Mom and David, kind of bring that's the way you cut hay. Well, you know, okay. Whatever, you can just do it with, maybe that's even a bad illustration. But I would just challenge anybody. Find me a command, command, New Testament. I'll just go New Testament on you. That you and I would interpret differently. I'm serious. I'm serious. Just the command. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Because the reason you were saved by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, according to the foreknowledge of God, was so that you and I could obey, that we would be obedient. And if there's anything that a lost, dying, broken world needs, is obedient Christians. Obedient. Sanctified. By the work of the Spirit, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Obedient. That's just the first lesson on salvation out of 1 Peter. We'll go back to Colossians when we give out. There'll be a, there's a great segue when we start Colossians back up. But thank you for your patience this morning. It's been a blessing to be here. Hope you've been challenged. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We're so grateful to be called your children. Father, we struggle in our flesh as we struggle to follow you. And yet, Father, we know that you've promised us by the power of your spirit and the knowledge that comes in your word that we can know, that you want us to know, that you'll empower us to know. So I pray that you give us a spirit, Father, that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what persecution that we might have to endure, that, Father, you give us the strength and we live by faith and not by sight. Father, I pray that as we live by faith and not by sight, that we have a desire in our heart, that we do indeed, because we love you, we will obey you. And, Father, I know that our obedience to you is a blessing to a lost world. Help us to be the blessings that you've called us to be. And, Father, we pray these things in the name of blessings. We pray these things in the name of obedience. We pray these things in the name of the foreknowledge of your sanctifying work. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Let's stand and sing in his presence on 618. There is cold. 
comfort in his presence there is peace when we seek the father's heart we will find such blessed assurance in the So far this month, we've thought about the writers of the first books of the New Testament, Matthew, the tax collector, Mark, reaching out to the Gentiles, Luke, the doctor, the scientist, setting things down in an orderly manner, and now John. John, the youngest disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, brought out Jesus the Word made flesh, the great I am, the sovereign God. John emphasized Jesus' nature and deity and established the intrinsic truth of Jesus, God, man, word, and deed. He was there at the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of men. John was one of the sons of thunder, but he brought us how much God loves us. 
loves us enough to send his only son for our salvation. May we come to this table in appreciation, appreciating that salvation and continuing to seek the light that Jesus brought into this world. John does not explicitly tell us of the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup. Instead, he tells of Jesus comforting his disciples on many topics. In John 14, 1 and 2, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Let us break this bread in remembrance of Jesus' body given for us. And may we drink from this cup, remembering the blood he shed for us. Anna? And let's end with Bless the Lord, O My Soul, on page 58.
one more time. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. We conclude our services with a doxology, a benediction, a prayer, a praise, or thanksgiving. And no better place than the 119th Psalm to end our worship service this morning. How blessed are those who delight in God's ways, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies and who seek him with all their heart. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.